0: Frederick Douglass says this, those who profess to favor freedom and yet depreciate agitation are men who want rain without thunder and lightning. What he means is, is that if you desire to have freedom, it is always going to have a cost. Friends, that's true if uh, a country goes to war, there's sacrifice and there's great cost. It is also true for those of us who desire spiritual freedom. And it is true of the Old Testament when the Jews desired freedom from their oppressors in Egypt. It is also true in the New Testament as we desire to have a new life in Christ and we desire freedom from our sin and we look to Jesus, the great sacrifice. Today, we're going to continue our series called The Passover Lamb. And in a few moments, we're going to jump into that text. But real quickly, I want to welcome everyone to our Wills Point campus. Also, those that are joining us online. It's great to have you with us. If you missed last week, I encourage you to go back and check out the message on our website at stonepointchurch.com. You can go to the resources tab and, and find it. But we are going to build on that message today. And we're going to look at sacrifices that have a cost. In Exodus chapter 12, we're going to read a good portion of this text as we uh, look at the Old Testament story of Moses um, bringing the people out of Egyptian oppression. And God is going to give them some instructions as he prepares to free Israel from their slavery. In Exodus chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months and it shall be the first month of the year for you. What God does here is he brings out the Israelites from 430 years of bondage. He says, hey, I'm gonna give you some new things. I'm gonna make you a new nation. I'm gonna institute a new calendar. I'm gonna give you new feast. Uh, Just as a believer in Christ in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 would say the old has gone and the new has come we are uh, seeing here that God is making all things new for the people of Israel. And so he does this uh, by giving them uh, a new calendar. In that first month, he says, "'Go and tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses.'" a lamb for each household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each one can eat, and you shall make your count for the lamb. This Passover meal is going to uh, be a domestic practice. It's something that every family takes part of in this Passover festival. This new feast that is uh, going to To come about the Feast of Unleavened Bread inaugurates with this Passover meal. In this story, you, you see no temple, you see no tent of meeting. You don't see a place where people go and gather. There's no altar, there's no priest. It is a family and a substitution and a lamb that will provide the freedom that needs to be offered for the people of Israel. In verse 5, it talks about the qualifications of the lamb, and while we won't go into great detail about it, and you could go back and see last week's message for that, it does say in verse 5, your lamb shall be without blemish. It should be a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month, when the whole assembly of congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Verse 7, the The Paschal lamb uh, is, is an interesting thing because when you look at this lamb, it is indeed um, uh, not only a meal for them, it, it also uh, is the sacrifice in which they take the blood and apply it to the doorpost of their home. But what's awesome about that is that if you think about what the implication here is, is that uh, it's not just about the blood that is shed, but it's about um, eating and enjoying this lamb. If you fast forward to the New Testament, which what we'll do here in a little while, it gives new meaning to what Jesus says, that this is my body broken for you. Take some and eat. Uh, And we'll partake of that here in just a little while in our Lord's Supper. But in verse 11, it says, "'In this manner you shall eat, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover.'" What you see here is as God institutes this new feast, as he prepares to take uh, Israel out of the captivity of Egypt and Pharaoh and all of the hardship they've endured, he goes, listen, when you enjoy this meal, as you stay bunkered down in your homes with the door applied to your, door, your doorpost, he goes, you need to be ready to go. As I was reading this text a handful of weeks ago and even preparing for this week, It just reminds me of Ephesians chapter six, As we put on the full armor of God. Paul tells the church in Ephesus in Ephesians six, verse 13, he says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand for there, having fastened the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having your feet... Put on, uh, put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. What you see in this idea here is that as we are living in a day and age now, honoring the Lord in our lives, as we put on the full armor of God, we are to be ready to hasten the day in which Jesus calls us to do something. Uh, As we uh, look to him, the author and perfecter of our faith, we ought to always be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have in Christ. 1 Peter 3, 15. We ought to be uh, ready in season and out of season uh, with the word of God. We ought to be able to stand firm just as the Israelites, God was calling them to stand firm, have uh, their staff in hand, um, have uh, their... uh, their are people ready to go. It is the same idea even today. And so there it is. They have the feet of readiness. They have a sense of eagerness because God is about to free them. After they enjoy this Passover feast together, the angel of death is gonna pass by and God is going to say, let's go. Verse 12 says, "'For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, "'and I will strike all the firstborn "'in the land of Egypt, both man and beast.'" And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord." God has been telling Moses this whole time that I am who I am. God is inconceivable. We cannot understand all of his ways. He is powerful. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere. He is all knowing, omniscient. Uh, We see the character of God in all ways. And he says, there is no one that will escape my judgment unless they have a Passover lamb, unless they have enjoyed what I have to offer unless they are ready to move in obedience with me. Verse 13 says the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you. When I strike the land of Egypt. What you see is that God says you are safe and secure in me and I uh, am the one who will provide for you. Last week, we learned that the ultimate provision of God is in his son, Jesus Christ, the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. In John chapter 10, uh, Jesus says that I am the good shepherd. Uh, The sheep hear my voice and they follow me. The latter part of that uh, chapter, Jesus says these words and he goes, and if you are mine, you are in the palm of my hand and my father's hand is greater than mine and you are in his hand also. What Jesus is saying is that when you have a foundation in him, the Passover lamb, the ultimate lamb sacrifice, he goes, you are safe and secure. That was true for the people of Israel uh, through the Passover lamb. It is also true for us in Jesus Christ. Verse 14, you see what the people of Israel are to do. They are to commemorate this day. They are to, uh, in, in many ways, to create a memorial. Verse 14 says this day shall be for you a memorial day. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. And so they've got this, uh, they're a new nation. Uh, they got a new calendar. Uh, they got new ways of doing things. They've got this new feast that is now instituted. And you see some of the requirements of that feast beginning to lay out. Verse 15 says, "'Seven days sh- you shall eat the unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel.'" God is serious about this feast and what it represents. Verse 16 says on the first day, you shall hold a holy assembly and on the seventh day, a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread for on this very day, I brought your host out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. Verse 18, it says in the first month from the 14th day, Of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. So he goes, Here's what the feast looks like it goes from the 14th to the 21st day. It is inaugurated with a Passover meal. And then from there, you are um, to eat unleavened bread, and you shall have no leavened bread around you. It shouldn't be in your house, it shouldn't even really be found in your country. Verse 19 says for seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or he's a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all of your dwelling places. You shall eat unleavened bread. And you see here it is. You you see like this, this theme uh, almost seems like an overemphasis. Um, sometimes I think God has to overemphasize his truth to us, doesn't it? For us to learn, for it to kind of soak in to our heads. Well, here it is. Uh, he wants it to soak into Israel's heads and hearts. And he wants them to realize that the unleavened bread should be removed from their presence. And the reason why is because in this, in this case, and we even see in the New Testament, leavening um, is, is representation of, of sin. And it really uh, is a rising agent in bread that would have prolonged Israel's wait. And so you know that Israel is to be ready to move with action. Their feet are to be ready. And the leavened bread would have held them later on that, that night as they wait for the angel of death to pass through all of their villages throughout the land. And so what you see here is, in, in some ways, kind of three things that uh, leaven as a rising agent, three ways that it represents sin. One is it just hinders people's ability to move swiftly. Uh, we can be entangled in sin and it keeps us from moving towards God in obedience. Secondly, uh, the rising agent of leaven and bread, it... it it puffs up, it causes a rising agent. And we've gotta be careful because leaven in this case could represent a puffed up people, an arrogant and a prideful people. It also represents impurity. And so you have these three things and Paul even makes mention of it to the church of Corinth. They're having some challenges in the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians 5. Um, they've, got, they've got sin in their camp within the Corinthian church. Paul, as the apostle, is saying, hey, we need to expose the sin and we need to get rid of the, the leavening, the thing that's not wise in, in this church, the sinful thing that is happening. In 1 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8, Paul says this. He says, "'Your boasting is not good. "'Do you not know that a little leaven "'leavens the whole lump? "'Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump "'as you really are unleavened. "'For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. "'Let us therefore celebrate the festival, "'not with old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, "'but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth.'" Paul says, just as Israel was to do without unleavened bread for seven days, we too should do without the unleavened part of sin in our life. We should be a new creation. Uh, we should not be puffed up in arrogance. Or we should not um, be prideful in, in all of our ways, but we should love others. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8. He says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And a lot of us, if we're not careful in our arrogance, are on a quest for knowledge or a name or in some ways a, a, a kind of a semblance of arrogance or pride to be someone. And oftentimes we are haughty and God has to bring us low. But what I would tell you is, is that God desires for us to love others and build others up. That's what happens when sin And leavening is not a part of our life. Let's go back to Exodus 12. In verse 21, uh, Then Moses calls the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel, the two doorposts of the blood is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. In verse 24, it says, you shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. This is something that is to be instituted from now on yearly. This Passover meal um, is going to be an institution. This Feast of Unleavened Bread is an institution. It is a memorial, it is a reminder of what I've done for you. And so for year after year after year, Israel is going to look back, they're gonna see their bondage, their oppression, and they're gonna see the great sacrifice. They're going to see lambs that were slain for them so that they could walk out of slavery into freedom, because of Passover lamb. And it's this feast that reminds them year in and year out of the Exodus sojourn. They are moving out into something new. Remind yourself, they're a new nation. They've got new calendars. They're, uh, they've got new feasts. And friends, they are a new people. They are now consecrated, set apart for God, and they are to be his people, making an appeal to the world of what he has done. And then they're gonna ask, well, what do we do? I mean, uh, do we we continue to observe this all the time? And the answer is yes, you observe it all the time. Verse 25 says, and when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, that means as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, well, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt when he struck down the Egyptians but spared our houses. And then the people bowed their heads and they worshiped. What he says here is that you are to remember this because of what your God has done. The great I am has revealed himself. The great I am has shown his strong right hand, and he has brought you out victoriously. And so when you get to this meal, when you get to the Passover, every first month of the year on the 14th day, as you take of the elements of this meal, you need to remind yourself as you tell your children the story that God is amazing, that he is awesome, that he is wonderful, that he is lofty, and that his provision was good. And here it is, you see that God is about uh, to swoop through their land and he is about to bring about the uh, 10th and final plague and the people of Israel are going to be set free. And as he does that, what he is ushering in is a new picture of a land and a people that he desires to bless. Now, if you know your Old Testament and you know that they would keep these feasts and these festivals and these traditions, but we also know that as they did these things, that Israel's heart was not always where God desired it to be. But that's when you fast forward to the the days of Jesus and Jesus uh, as our Passover lamb is going to institute something new as well. And what's really interesting is that here in a few moments, we're gonna read that Jesus was partaking of a Passover meal as well. And when he does, he is going to take over, take part in a Seder meal, just as the Jews had uh, before, but he's going to require something different. And he's going to take part in some of the same symbols, but what he's instituting is something new as well. A new people, a new priesthood, a new nation, And he does it through something called the new covenant. And Jeremiah, the prophet explains what the new covenant represents. And in Jeremiah chapter 31 verses 31 and 34 through 34, he says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. Do you see the reference here? He goes, this is going to be a different covenant. It's not gonna be the one that I made with them uh, back when they came out of Egypt. It wasn't the same as what I did with them in the Exodus. This is something new. And the reason why outlined in verse 32, it says, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. He says, they were unfaithful to me. They didn't keep my commands. Verse 33 says, for this is the covenant that I will make "'With the house of Israel, after those days,' declares the Lord, "'I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. "'I will be their God, and they shall be my people. "'And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, "'saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me. "'From the least of them to the greatest,' declares the Lord, "'for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more.'" This is an incredible hope. What, what we see is the Old Testament precedent of the Passover, something they look back and remember. God says, I'm going to institute something new. And as I do so, there's a handful of implications for all of us. Jeremiah thirty one thirty three. it just says God's going to put his word in us. That he is going to... Uh, put his law in our hearts and our minds, that he's going to write it on the tablet of our hearts. Friends, he does that by the power of the Holy Spirit. That same verse, he just says, it's about a new intimate relationship. We don't have to know God from our neighbors or from our friends or from our family, but we can know him personally. We shall be his people. What's incredible is, is that the Jews as a nation were limited in their relationship to God, but we are not. We can come to him uh, at any time, anywhere, and we can have a relationship with him. We can know his word because he's given it to us and we can have him as our God. In verse 34, he just says, and because of that, he goes, I'm gonna cleanse them of sin. So God cleanses us from impurity. He removes the leaven and makes us pure. He forgives our sin and our iniquity. He remembers it no more. He is our God. We are his people. And that's what ushers in this new way of doing things. A, not only a new covenant, but a new representation of that covenant. And Jesus brings it in to full force and full motion, just as he eagerly desires to eat of the Passover with the disciples. You see it in the gospel accounts. I want to read Luke chapter 22 he comes to the day where there is the feast of the unleavened bread. Just as all Jews do, they are commemorating and celebrating uh, this upcoming feast, the feast of unleavened bread. They're gonna take of uh, the Seder mill, the Passover meal uh, before all of it kicks off. And you see Jesus do the exact same thing in Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse seven, it says this, then came the day of unleavened bread. That's the 14th day of Aviv, the first month, Of the calendar year on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. There it is. Peter and John go and they find the place that Jesus had told them about. They make preparations. And as they do so, what I want you to realize is that Jesus is going to take part of the traditional Passover elements. You're gonna have uh, the lamb that's roasted. Um, you're gonna have the bitter herbs at that meal. You're gonna have the matzah bread, the unleavened bread that doesn't rise so you can be quick to move. You're gonna have uh, wine. You're gonna have all of these things, but Jesus does something interesting. In Luke chapter 22, later on down in verse 14, it says, when the hour came, he, meaning Jesus, reclined to the table and the apostles with him. And Jesus said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Verse 16 says, For I tell you, I will not eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Jesus sitting there in that room with his disciples says, I have eagerly desired to eat of this cup or or eat of this meal, to drink of this cup, to eat of this bread. He goes, I have longed for this, but he goes, I want you to know that I will not do this again until the kingdom comes. Jesus is saying, I am about to go away. I'm I'm going to return to my father. And while the disciples probably haven't wrapped their head around all that's transpiring before them, what Jesus is about to do is help institute this new covenant that Jeremiah talked about. This personal relationship between us and God, where he writes his word on our hearts, where he forgives our sins and where we are his people. And he does that with two different symbols as it illustrates something to us. In verse 19, he takes the bread, the matzah, the unleavened bread. And when he had given thanks, he then broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, what's really incredible is, is he doesn't, He doesn't give us any indication on what the bread is to be like. I mean, he doesn't say, hey, um, you you have to have a a certain type of bread and it has to be broken in this way. What we would see is just a traditional element of bread. But what he does say is he goes, when you think about the Passover, he goes, I want you to think of something different. I want you to think about this element, the bread, as my body. And when you eat of it, he goes, I want you to remember that I gave my body for.'" you. Verse 20 says, and likewise, the cup, after they had eaten it said, this is the cup that is poured out for you. Is It's the new covenant in my blood. Now, when we look at this cup, we, we don't know exactly what it is. What we would tell you is this, um, most likely wine in that day, Jesus just calls it the fruit of the vine. Uh, they could have Uh, obviously be grape juice or or wine. What we would say is this. I don't think the implication is what it is that you drink, whether it be wine or grape juice. It's not that God is forbidding or encouraging one or the other. What he is saying is, is that you should take of the cup. And when you do so, you should remember the blood of Jesus. This whole idea is what Paul will refer to as the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 11.20 what Jesus is doing is instituting something new. And you might ask yourself, well, okay, but why not the lamb and and why not the bitter herbs? Why is it that Jesus here in this story takes bread and a cup and says, 'Here's here's the bread. This is my body broken for you, given for you. And here's the cup, the cup of the new covenant that you would drink, that you would be a reminder that of my blood sacrifice given to you. And here's why, because Jesus is the lamb And the bitter herbs that was a reminder to the Jews year in and year out, Jesus took the bitterness of the cup of wrath. Jesus, the Lamb of God, took all of God's bitter judgment for us. And as he uh, begins to inaugurate something new, Paul would say, it's now the Lord's Supper. And so the Jew looked back with Passover, and we look back and we call it the Lord's Supper. Because of the new covenant, because of what Jesus fulfilled in us and for us, we can look back and we can now take of just two elements, bread and the cup, the fruit of the vine, which represents God's gift and his son, Jesus, the body and the blood sacrifice that he gave for us. And friends, as we approach the coming of Easter, as we settle in uh, for a celebration of Jesus' body, uh, bruised and spit upon and rejected for us, as we think about his blood poured out for us, uh, we want to just remind ourselves that when we come to him, that we have total access because of what he's done, but because of this new covenant, because we are a new people, because he desires a relation with us, that he is our God and we can have his word written on our hearts and we can know him and we can love him and we can serve him. But even more than that, when we come to him, we Celebrate what he has already finished through his son Jesus on the cross. That's why Paul, when he's talking to the church of Corinth, he doesn't just mention um, the idea of leavening in their flock, but even in 1 Corinthians 11, he is encouraging this church who has had many issues uh, in their local congregation. He's saying, hey, listen, even when you observe this Lord's Supper, this institution that God has given us, He goes, there is a way in which you do that. And I want to show you in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23 and following, it says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. This is Paul speaking. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after the supper saying, this is the cup that is the new covenant in my blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so as we look back and we partake of the Lord's Supper, which we're going to do in just a few moments, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. In essence, friend, we are reminding ourselves daily of a greater exodus. We are reminding ourselves of what God has done for us. He didn't deliver us from the the oppression of the Egyptians. He delivered us from the domain of darkness, from our former life of sin. He has given us a new life in Christ and he has called us to be a part of his kingdom. We are now beloved sons. We are heirs of the redemption he offers. We have forgiveness of sin. And when we take of the cup, and we enjoy the bread, we look back and we remember what God has done for us in his son. Verse 27, Paul says, "'So whoever therefore eats the bread "'or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner "'will be guilty concerning the body "'and the blood of the Lord. "'Let a person examine himself then, "'and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. "'For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning "'the body eats and drinks judgment on himself.'" As Paul speaks to this troubled church in Corinth, what he says is, guys, don't make a mockery of what Jesus has done for you. That when you come to him and you enjoy the fruit of the vine, when you drink the cup as a reminder of his blood, and when you take of bread, and you remind yourself of his body given for you, he goes, make sure that you don't come in a lackadaisical manner, make sure that you don't come and go, oh, you know what? Uh, This is just something he did. And and don't approach God flippantly here, but approach God with a reverent heart. Ask him to examine you. Ask him to remove areas of sin. Friends, if you know that as you approach Easter and as you approach the elements, even today, uh, the cup, the fruit of the vine and the bread, if there is uh, some sin in your life, then then ask God to forgive you. Confess that. Purify your hearts. Don't be double-minded. Reconcile yourself to other people. If you know that that you have a problem with someone, even here, go and reconcile yourself to them. Seek forgiveness. Seek understanding. And then take of the cup. What Paul says is what Jesus has done for us has instituted a, a new covenant, a new picture of doing things as we look forward and we also look backward. We look forward in anticipation of Christ's coming and we look backward remembering what he did for us. And so friends here in just a few moments, we are going to take of the cup. And I pray that as we do so, that we would consider the words of Alan Redpath, a theologian, a former pastor of Moody Bible Church. He said this, as you break bread and bow your heart before him, what sort of sermon are you preaching? Often we have broken bread together around the Lord's table and then we have gone out to do just what those disciples did. We have denied him. Friends, may we not come and celebrate what Jesus has done for us and then walk out and act as if we don't know him. May we go out, may we proclaim all the Lord has done for us. And as we partake of the elements, the body And the fruit of the vine, may we remind ourselves of all that our Passover lamb has sacrificed, that it was more than bondage from the Egyptians, but it was from the bondage of our sin. We were once captives held by our sin, and now we walk in a new life and in the light of Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that as we come together and as we uh, partake of the elements, the cup and the fruit of the vine, as we drink of it, may we remember Jesus's great sacrifice that we can escape our sin problem because of his desire to meet the legal demands of our sin by reconciling us to God by dying on the cross. Lord, we don't take that in a lackadaisical, flippant way. Lord, we are so grateful for, for the sacrifice of your son. And as we come together, as we sing, as we enjoy this time together, I pray that you would help us to examine our hearts and help us to be the new people you've called us to be. May we be a priesthood of believers at, at your beck and call. May we be bond servants of our King. May we be slaves and ambassadors for your namesake. God, would you use us to do your will? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.